All right. Now, um, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've also seen the video clips I've been showing. We've been showing from the office. Anybody remember them? Okay. Uh, there's a surplus. They're trying to figure out what to do with the surplus, whether they get chairs or a new copier, and Michael couldn't decide. And then Michael found out that if he turned the surplus back into corporate, he would get $650. And so he wanted to go to Burlington Coat Factory with the money. And I, I have to show you this clip so you can kind of see the ending of all of this, okay? It really doesn't introduce the message totally, but uh, we're going to get to have a little bit of fun and just watch uh, the end of this office video. So let's run that. This doesn't change anything. I have a very important decision to make. We need a new copier. We need new chairs. And I need to figure out a way to keep this money without having everybody hate me. So what's going to be? Michael, you have to make a decision. The day is almost done. Let me just say you've been promising me this chair since the day you hired me. You are a smart guy. I know you'll do the right thing. (sighs) You think it's easy? It's your job. Okay. You know what? Why don't you guys deal with it? I am going to get up, and I'm going to be out in the common area, but you need to decide. Otherwise, I'm taking the bonus. Am I right? It is a classic management tactic. You have two sides, a deadline. You know that neither of them are going to concede. What you do is you put them in a room, and you just, hey. Hey. Hey, we're going with the chairs. What? I just figured I'd rather have new chairs than nothing at all. Thanks, Michael. Good work. I'm proud of you. What did we learn this week? Well, one, thanks to me, my team is much, much faster at coming to decisions than I thought they would be. Number two, never buy a fur coat with a credit card until you absolutely have the money to pay for it. Yeah, that's pretty good advice, isn't it? Now, everything else uh, Michael did there is, is not a pattern we want to follow, but um, <laughs> tonight we're going to start our Christmas series, and uh, the, the simple title, Why Christmas, each week we'll uh, look at a different facet of that, but um, tonight, Why Christmas, and the answer that I'm going to give is Christmas because God wanted to release the possibilities of heaven into this world. That he wants us to experience all the possibilities of his kingdom, of his life, possibilities of heaven in this world. Now for Michael, uh, for him, endless possibilities means $650 in a, in a trip to Burlington Coat Factory. Um, might not be a bad thing if you need a coat. But, uh, and God did give us things to enjoy. He gave us all good things, the Bible says, to enjoy. And, and yet, when we enjoy them, we have to enjoy them in relationship with him. That was his intent. Not that we enjoy them and just scurry off apart from him. And that's where Michael's approach to life would uh, falter. Because we're created for God to be in our lives. And if we limit ourselves to what we can see, feel, taste, and touch as to our place of satisfaction in this life, then we're going to be sorely disappointed. Nothing's really going to mean anything. I've known people that um, have lost a spouse and uh, had 
had accumulated things over the years, maybe have a nice house, maybe have a nice car, other things. But when the spouse is gone, then the, the, the living spouse looks at everything and says, well, you know, it really doesn't mean anything without her. You know, this is all pretty much worthless without her in my life or without him in my life. And I think that's how, that, that, that's how God wants us to feel about our relationship with him. He wants us to, to know him, to love him, to experience him, to taste his goodness so that when we look around and we see the stuff, we think, well, this really isn't much of anything unless it's with God, unless it's with this is what God wants me to have, and unless I am walking with God. And yet we live in a world, a broken world that has forgotten and excluded God and uh, and a, a we're part of a race that has lost the concept of the goodness and the beauty of God. We just lost it. That's something God wants us to have back. That's, that's why Christmas, because Christmas brings us back into the potential to understand God's goodness and the potential to understand real beauty in life and the potential to know God once again in a, in a close, intimate way. And really... When you think about it, God created us for endless possibilities. Endless possibilities. He placed Adam and Eve on this planet, and he said, fill the planet. So send people out all across the planet, reproduce image bearers all across the planet. And he said, rule over it. And so I, you know, when I think of what are heaven's possibilities, um, and, and you think, we think of the kingdom of God coming. And when we say kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven... Uh, we're using those two terms pretty much interchangeably, but I want you to know we're not, I don't mean this by it. And I don't think the Bible means this by the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean I go to heaven when I die. Okay. That when we talk about heaven and the reality of heaven, we're not talking about, well, when I die, I get to experience it. What God wants is for us to experience the realities of heaven in our lives today here. He wants to do more than just get us into heaven when we die. That's why in Matthew 6, can we jump ahead to that verse? Matthew 6, where is that? Jesus said, um, well, I'll just quote it to you. Okay, here it is. Matthew six ten. Is it up there? Good. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Jesus was expressing the heart of God. He was expressing the core reason he came. Wasn't just so we go to heaven when we die. But it was to restore heaven to earth. Which is what we lost when Adam and Eve sinned. You see when Adam and Eve sinned. They were in right relationship with God. They had infinite possibilities of exploring the world. I, I, I thought of it like this. That uh, they would have someday um, discovered the Grand Canyon. And would have had the joy of that, but they wouldn't have have had a fight with their wife or husband on the drive there. There wouldn't have been the conflict and and the bitterness and, and the relational breakdown. And so when we think of heaven's possibilities, I'm not even sure I know fully what that means. Well, I know I don't. I'm thinking about it. I want to pray and, and, and really understand it better. But... It's not just sweeping all the negative things out of the way. That's, that's what we typically think of. That's what I've preached is 
When the kingdom of God comes, there'll be no more sickness. Okay, that's a good thing. And that's what we want. There'll be no more relational breakdown. Parents will love each other. Children will grow up in happy homes. The sick will be healed. The poor will be fed. All the injustices and wrongs in this world will be righted. But as I prepared this message, I realized that's, only, that's just sweeping away the bad. That's just getting rid of the negative, the bad. And there's this infinite realm of possibilities that is going to open up when the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus came in order to allow us to begin to taste the possibilities of the goodness and the beauty of God's kingdom. And so, so much of that does consist of us praying for the sick and praying for restoration and healing, but not just so they're healed, so they can enter into these possibilities with God, relationship with God and understand who he is and begin to, to really see the beauty of who he is and to begin to really experience the beauty of the kingdom. And so this passage that we're going to look at um, gives us some keys. I'm going to draw some truths out from it that will help us all to experience the, the possibilities that God has before us and what he wants to release to us and why Jesus came into this world to release uh, the possibilities of the kingdom into this world. We all know, um, and if you don't know, I'm going to want to back up a step and say all of us may not know this, but God created this world to be perfect. And he created Adam and Eve and placed them here and they, they had perfect hearts. They had never sinned. They'd never, never done anything wrong. Perfect in relationship with him, I mean. And when Adam and Eve chose to trust Satan, God's enemy, instead of trusting God, two things happened. One, by doing that, their nature stepped out of innocence into sin. They became fallen And from that point on, every human being that's born in this world is born with a fallen nature. The second thing that happened was they gave Satan influence and access to mankind and to the heart of mankind. So when you combine the fallenness of the human heart and the evil of the influence of Satan in this this world and in, in, in humanity... You come up with all of the pain and the grief and the sorrow and the suffering and the evil and the perversion of beauty that that we see in the world. Jesus came to reverse that. And here we see uh, what what, what God did was send his son, Jesus, into the world. And the way he started that process was with announcements. He had been making announcements through the prophets for hundreds of years. But now it comes down to the point where it's going to happen And he sends an angel to make an announcement to this young woman, Mary. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 26, 27. Here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, that's Mary's uh, aunt, John the Baptist's mother. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, or her cousin, I can't, uh, relative. Sometimes it's it's difficult in in the Greek text to discern between aunt and cousin and and such. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Okay, what does God do? 
He, he sends someone to make an announcement. And here was the announcement. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this, this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Favor with God. Now, here's, here's a point. I want you to note this. God sent a messenger to speak, to speak his word, because when God speaks, stuff happens. When God speaks, stuff happens. That's how God does stuff. He speaks. He speaks it into existence. And so he sends an angel to give this message to Mary. In fact, God spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be uh, vegetation on the ground, and, and all of the vegetation grew up. Let there be uh, lights in the sky, so the sun and the moon and the stars, because God spoke it into existence, the sea creatures, the land animals. God spoke all of those into existence. And then it comes to man, and it's slightly different, because with man, God didn't speak man into existence. What God did was to speak man's purpose and identity into existence, and then he created man. He made man. And so we see in Genesis 1.26, just to look at this briefly, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. That's, that's the identity. So God's speaking the identity of humanity, God's image and likeness. That's our identity. And then he goes on. And he says, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That's our purpose. Image, identity, rule, purpose. God spoke those two things into existence. And then he took a handful of dust and created mankind and breathed life into us. And so God works through speaking with man it was a special act of creation, but here he is again speaking truth to release his will and to create so that what he wants to have happen would happen. So he sends an angel, and uh, the angel comes, and, and as I read this, I realized the angel basically comes in and says, uh, hello, Mary. Basically, he's, he's greeting Mary. He gives her a greeting, and it's a personal thing. You know, and and, I, and I've, I have a tendency to think of angels in abstract terms as impersonal, more like robotic. But I wonder if this angel had to think about what he was going to say to Mary. Okay, I just, I just wonder. I wonder what the angel's interaction with Mary was really like. I wonder if he, if he didn't mean to startle her. I wonder if when Mary's afraid, if the angel said, no, 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 Mary, 
No, don't, you, don't, you don't have any cause to be afraid. When I said favored one, that's a good thing. You're favored by God. You, you have God's favor on you. Um, but God sends an angel to, to speak this all out. And th- this idea of favor is such a powerful thing. Uh, the message of favor, of blessing, of resting in someone else's favor, but especially the favor of God. Now, for us to experience heaven's possibilities, one of the things we have to do is realize that we are favored by God. I, I want to speak those words to you right now. Now, listen to me. You are favored by God. God loves you so much he sent his son Jesus to die for you. If you haven't yet accepted him into your heart or into your life, I encourage you to do that. But you are favored by God. God loves you and cares for you and favors you. And for some of us, that's a very hard thing to grasp. Um, it's, it's difficult for us to think of being favored. We would rather think of being less than something and feel a little bit bad about ourselves and think I'm really, you know, I'm really not, you know, not, not much. And it's really nice of God to, to love me and care about me. But, but to forget looking, for, to, to stop looking at ourselves for a moment and just look at God and say, God's smiling at me. You know, God's smiling at me. He's favoring me. That's just a powerful, powerful thing. And that's something we have to accept. So here's a statement I want you to hear. I want you to read this. Uh, We have to experience, in order to experience heaven's possibilities, we have to accept the truth that we are favored by God. Just Just as God created Adam with an identity, through Jesus, through being forgiven, we're born again. We come into this incredible relationship with God where we would just say God's favor is poured out on us. In fact, in Ephesians 1, 6, uh, it says this, the, these words, uh, to the praise of, of his glorious grace. That's the same word as favor. The word grace and favor are the same word. To the praise of uh, his glorious favor or grace, which he has freely given us in his beloved one. He's freely given it, freely. That means he's poured it out. Another place it says the love of God is poured out on us. And it's, it's a parallel thought. The love of God, the favor of God is poured out on us. And we, we have to really come to grips with that and accept it. Now that was confusing to Mary. And, and it's frankly it's confusing to some of us today. Uh, here, if, you, real, real, if you want to be confused, look at this verse, John 17. John 17, 23. Now, I don't want this to confuse you. I want it to open uh, our eyes to a deeper understanding of God's love for us. But here Jesus is speaking, and he's praying to God. And he says, God, I I want it to be like this. I am in them, and you are in me. Okay, so let's say that differently. God's in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. God's in Jesus, and Jesus is in you. So where's, where's God and where's Jesus? In us. And we find out by reading other places that, that that all happens through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so there's the Trinity within us. God's life within us. And, and Jesus says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That means believers living in unity, loving each other, not necessarily agreeing on everything, but agreeing that... 
whole bunch of stuff isn't important enough to disagree about. And, and living in unity. And he says, what will happen then is that the world will know that you sent me, that you, Father, sent me, Jesus, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, who's the them? Who's the them? That's us. And how much does God love us? Even as you have loved whom? Me. And who's me? Jesus. So Jesus here, in, in, the, in, the, in the language is very clear in the original text. Jesus is saying here, Father, I want the world to see that you love them as much as you love me. You love them with the same love you love me with. And so realize that you are favored by God and you are loved by God beyond anything you can comprehend. Loved by God with the same love he loves his very own son with. And so confusing, maybe, but it's confusing in a good way, hopefully, that we can open our hearts up and say, God, show me more. Let me experience more and more of your love. I want to I walk in your love. I want to walk in your favor. I know, I know. I mean, I, I know I, I don't deserve it, but you've given it. And so I'm going to receive it and I'm not going to look at me. I'm not going to evaluate me. Do I deserve it? Do I not deserve it? How did I do today? Did I mess up today? Well, if I messed up today, then God's not going to love me as much or his favor is not going to be on me as much as it was yesterday because I did some good stuff yesterday. I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm just going to realize that your favor and your love come from your heart. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to experience it and, and, and rest in it. And we have to begin to accept that in order to really understand um, the possibilities that heaven opens up. So here's what the angel says to Mary as we go on, verses 31 and 33. You will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus, which means Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, Mary, favored by God, is going to have a baby Jesus, who's going to have an eternal kingdom. God's son is going to come into the world through Mary. And, and th- that opens up, I mean, all of these possibilities. I mean, when you think of possibilities, and I said, you know, I'm not sure I fully understand it. Well, let's just say this. They start with angelic visitations. Okay, that's pretty cool, don't you think? And, and they go on to um, uh, virgin births. That's what comes up next, virgin birth and prophetic words. And just, it just starts there and it just never ends, the possibilities of what, what God uh, wants to do. In the Old Testament, it says that when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be like turning a desert into a fruitful uh, field with springs of water just bursting up all over the place. And so the picture there is life. Real life, God's life, as God intended it to be meant. So to experience all the possibilities of heaven, we have to grasp, I think, our God's purpose for us. Mary, God had a purpose for her. She was going to bring the, the Messiah into the world. And God has a purpose for each one of us. We just need to ask him, what's your purpose for me? How do you want me to be part of advancing your kingdom? How, where do I serve? Who do you want me to invite? Uh, how, how can I be part of it? 
But as it goes on, Mary, this good-hearted question, she says, how can this be? Uh, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who releases the kingdom of God to us. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God present with us. And he releases the kingdom to us. And he's the one who makes us new, makes us new creations. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, brand new. He's the one that takes the desert and makes, fills it with springs of water so that it flourishes and becomes alive. And there's no need to fear him. No need to fear the Holy Spirit. But, you know, a lot of people, because of the craziness, I think, of the church, uh, have a, a real apprehension and fear of the Holy Spirit. Afraid, well, he might make me do something crazy because I've heard of someone else doing something. And, uh, but we don't need to fear him. In fact, in John fourteen sixteen, Jesus said this. He said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So Jesus has just said, I'm going away. But that's good because when I go away, I'll send the comforter. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And here he says, I'll ask the Father and he'll send you another helper. And the word another here is there's a couple different Greek words that can be translated another. And this one means another exactly like the first. And so it's like someone buying a car and then then they use it for a while. And they go out and buy exactly the same model with all exactly the same features. And so the Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus. That's what this verse is saying. Now the question is, are you afraid of Jesus? Am I afraid of Jesus? Well, I shouldn't be, and I shouldn't be afraid of the Holy Spirit either. And I need to recognize that the Holy Spirit's the one. So to experience heaven's possibilities, I have to open myself up to the Holy Spirit. Here, listen to this. Uh, This wonderful announcement, the angel says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then the old translation says, For nothing is impossible with God. Literal translation of that, the the new NIV gets it well. They get it right. This second phrase there is the literal translation for the phrase, nothing is impossible with God. Literally, it is, no word from God will ever fail. Remember how God does stuff? He does stuff through speaking. He speaks it, and it happens. And this is saying, anything God says, you can, you can put money on. Anything God says is going to happen. Will never, ever fail. But notice this. Elizabeth uh, she's six months pregnant now. And if you know the story, uh, you know, uh, if you don't know the story, Elizabeth is old. I mean, I don't know how old in those days, but she's old enough that nobody ever thought she was going to have a baby. And it was a miracle for her to get pregnant. So she's well past the age of childbearing. So let's say, just for the sake of transferring into our cultural mindset, make it really clear here Let's say Elizabeth is in her early 60s, okay? And Mary was very likely a teenager, probably 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 at the most, right in that range. And so what do you have here? You have the Holy Spirit working in two different people's lives who are like 40 years apart in age, 
at the same season of time doing similar work. With Mary, it was a virgin birth. With Elizabeth, it wasn't a virgin birth. It was just God performing a miracle to get her system started again and, and make her husband's system work okay and, and make it all happen. But it was a miracle nonetheless. And so I thought it was fascinating that you have these two, you know, what we would call two distant generations that come together in God's purpose right now. And then next what happens is Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and spends time with Elizabeth. But what it tells me is this. No one's too young. No one's too old. We never get to a point where we can say, I'm going to coast. I'm on my way out. Just got a few years left. I'm drifting. Never can say that. God wants to use each one of us to the end, and he wants to use us from the beginning. And he wants to bring us together. Wants to use us together. And so, uh, I mean, I think that's really cool. Um, People of all backgrounds, ages, everyone needs to experience more of the Holy Spirit and be open to God using us. And you know, the Bible says in Acts 2 that in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Visions and dreams. Young men with visions. Old men with dreams. Don't dreams die eventually? Isn't that what's supposed to happen? You, get, you, you live through life long enough that you come to a point that, oh, well, you know, I had dreams at one time. Or I had a vision for life at one time. And, and now it's, I'm, I'm too old for that. But no, when the Holy Spirit comes, people of all ages are going to have visions and dreams and an understanding of what God wants to do. What God's calling us to because the Holy Spirit's going to work that in us. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Prophecy, speaking, hearing God's word and speaking it out is the chief characteristic of this age, of the church age. And so we go on then. I'm going to end with this. Uh, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And so uh, I think it's cool that Mary just says yes. And that's my final point is to experience heaven's endless possibilities, we just have to say yes to God and begin the adventure. Say yes and begin the adventure. little side note, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And you know what happens when she walks into Elizabeth's presence? Elizabeth prophesies to her. John the Baptist, who is in Elizabeth's womb, probably let's say six and a half, seven months, he jumps when Jesus, when Mary comes into the room with Jesus in her womb, and then Elizabeth just blasts out with this prophetic word, not blast out, but she speaks out this prophetic word to Mary. And then do you know what happens next? Mary prophesies right back. We call it the Magnificat, Mary's, uh, Mary's prophecy about what God was doing. And so th- they're even foreshadowing this merging together of all ages and generations in the power of the Holy Spirit to experience prophetic gifting and to advance the kingdom of God uh, with real power in life. So why Christmas? Well, Christmas so that we can get in on all the possibilities that, that God's created us for. We can be restored to that. 
and we can live a life of adventure and, and all, all that heaven has for us. So we're going to worship, and worship team's going to come out. Um, boy, you know what I encourage you to do during worship? You know what I have to do all the time? All the time I have to tell myself, forget about that piece of paper. You know, Tyler will get that later. Or, uh, that's a joke, okay? You know, like if Tyler leaves a piece of paper on the stage. Or, you know, uh, or uh, just whatever. I, I Forget about that, that thing you didn't get done this week. That'll happen later. I've got to stop. I've got to put things out of my mind. And I've got to purposely say, God, I want to sing this song to you. I'm going to take these words and I'm going to run them through my heart and my voice. And I'm going to sing them to you. And when we do that, that's, that's when worship just really becomes real and God's presence comes. So let's all stand up, okay?